we are going into lockdown. What should I do with my mindfulness courses? I quickly stepped in and organized Zoom calls for the European community. And that has evolved into building a platform, created a team of five people who are digitally quite proficient. We created an online platform using WhatsApp, Telegram, Zoom, Google Groups, Google Docs. And I think it would never have come off the ground so quickly and so interactively with a team working on it so diligently, if not for the crisis. This is Crisis Cast 2020 with me, Toby Goodman, a podcast where I get timely wisdom from experts in life and business. These guests will answer my five questions, sharing wisdom and insights to help you and me get through this global shitstorm. Today on Crisis Cast 2020, Katrina Mullin from BeVital.eu was dropping so many woke wisdom bombs in the pre record, I just pressed record because I didn't want to interrupt her. Katrina is a German who now lives in Brussels, Belgium, and also normally in the Netherlands and Italy. She helps her clients develop vitalizing leadership and resilient co working relationships. She has more than 30 years of experience in organizations and a background in cultural and medical, anthropology, and in mindfulness training. In this chat, we cover so much digital proficiency, risk and opportunity, and why we must use the wings of this crisis. I discover the difference between practical mindfulness and stoicism, and that connecting to reality is much safer than dreaming of your own anxieties. One for a quiet walk, perhaps. Enjoy. Before we start the show, I have something for you if you identify as pod curious. It's perfect for you if you're an expert, consultant or business owner. Maybe you're wondering if podcasting is worth the effort, especially now. Or perhaps you've tried podcasting in the past but have been disappointed with the results. In this free guide, Podstar... I'll share the exact seven steps we use to help publish over 2,000 podcasts each month. To get instant access, go to podcastnetworksolutions.com. We can become very grateful when, uh, when suddenly we understand that what we have is so great that it would really hurt to lose it. And what we are chasing after is not that great and not so important as what we have. Like when you look at my background picture, that's my backyard. So this is, I, I can go out of our garden, which is just like this. We have the same trees there. And I, go and I can go in a, into an amazing forest, which is a, a park forest. And we are just so incredibly lucky because we have this. And in the first days of, of the lockdown, people tried to escape their maybe narrow, narrow apartments to go to this park. But then they were hindered by the police because the police didn't want people to go there and come by cars. You can't come, but you have to walk. Right. And so many people, and I'm, I'm based in Brussels, so many people are 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 simply taken hostage in their own apartment, especially the elderly who are afraid to go out and because they are more vulnerable than others. And we are so fortunate because we can't even see the border between our, our 
garden and the forest. Yeah. So it, it has changed. I have, I have had this habit to go into the forest always, but not on a consistent basis. And so very often during the week, I told myself, oh, it was such a nice weather today. I should have gone earlier or I should have gone today. And then I was busy and the busyness got in the way, but not now. Now I've, I'm saving so much time on commutes and on, on things that can't be done that now um, I, I, I can't go to my sports club, which I used to go at, at 6.30 every morning, but I can go to the forest every day. And sometimes I go twice. So it's, when I look at my, at my work, also I developed certain habits that I had loosely. I developed them in very strong habits because I had at least... Yes, I had two months, more than two months, two months and a week to establish those habits more solidly. And they are ingrained now. And I don't think that I will lose them after this period because I had so much time of consistently doing that effective habit. And it's, it's there now. That's actively building habits. And that's what I try to help my clients do. So your experience of the pandemic on a local level is, is, is that personally, what about what, what's, how has it been going in, in Belgium? What, what's, what's, what's happened, what's happened on a, on a national level for you? Cause it's a very small country, but it's near a lot of, near a lot of other countries. So um, how's that been? Well, uh, by origin, I'm not Belgium, I'm German and I've lived in the Netherlands for a long time. And all our children, we have four children and 11 grandchildren, they live in the Netherlands. So since the beginning of February, we haven't seen them because we went to Italy. We live in three countries, Belgium, Netherlands, and Italy. And we came back from Italy when Corona had already stroke, striken in, in Italy. And there were people from Milan coming down to the south where we lived. And we got out on one of the last Ryanair flights from Italy to Belgium. But then there was the lockdown. We couldn't go to, uh, to see uh, some of our children. One of the families, they went on skiing vacation in Switzerland. When they came back by mid-March, then the lockdown started. So we hadn't seen them for a month. We couldn't go. And... Two weeks later, the border between Belgium and the Netherlands was closed. They have containers or they have uh, broken up the road. Like there's, there's sand, there are blocks, roadblocks. You can't get through. Also, the secondary uh, roads, they're all blocked. Every village, every possibility to get through is blocked. And evidently, Italy was the, the hardest, was, was the country that was, that was most uh, affected. Evidently, we didn't go back to Italy. We had plans to go there beginning of, of April, but that was impossible. And it's even impossible to go there by, by the end of, of May when we had plans to go there again. So we are really stuck in Belgium. And in Belgium, very soon... Only the grocery stores and the pharmacies were open. So I'm the, I'm the linking pin. My husband had 
an infection of what do you call this part of uh, uh you're pointing to your forehead or your eye oh sinus infection i think yes a yeah. sinus infection given given that and his age he was in the highest vulnerable group so he hasn't left the house for two months or the house well, of course we've been to the forest but i mean he hasn't seen other people in those two months how's he coping with that well good because he is not the he's the opposite of me he he lo- he loves to be working on engineering things repairing things so the garden is 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 wonderful everything in the house has been repaired everything is fine <laughs> we have decluttered the house but we didn't get out and belgium typically is a country where you go to restaurants you go to the theater you go and see your friends at a concert we haven't done anything of that for uh, since since the beginning of february yeah i've been there many times and uh, it's hard to it's hard to imagine people locked in their houses from my experience of hanging out there so um yeah wow so tell me about how it's affected your work well it has affected my work in the sense that i can only work remotely so i keep in contact with the people that i have been working with i've not asked for a sale any in this time but i kept supporting people and i got very busy supporting european colleagues because i'm also part of what i do in in vitality training one of the foundations is the mental fitness and emotional fitness so that i do from a perspective of mindfulness and so i'm the founder of a mindfulness professional association here in belgium and i'm also a board member of the european umbrella association and when on 10 march i think an sos came from our colleague in poland where she said well we are going into lockdown what should i do with uh, with my mindfulness courses I quickly stepped in and organized Zoom calls for the European community. And that has uh, evolved into building a platform, It created a team of five people who are digitally quite uh, proficient. We created an online platform using WhatsApp, Telegram, Zoom, Google Groups, Google Docs. And I think it would never have come off the ground so quickly and so interactively with a team working on it so so diligently if not for the crisis it was needed for urgency but with one of the board members i rewrote our operational plan to make it a crisis plan and we we build everything around that interactive thing the members have been asking for something like that for a long time and in the board there were two gears one group was was not really promoting it not really sponsoring the idea but then there was momentum and the members wanted it and it just came off the ground it just started to fly and we could support the members for urgency but now it has become through that momentum it has become something that they want structurally to be able to interact in the future because those people they see each other once a year we have a general assembly at the end of august 
and that's the only time we see each other. Everything else is through email, but now we have something new because now we are seeing each other fortnightly on Zoom and we can see each other 24 hours on, on the online group and it's working. That's fantastic to hear. It kind of reminds me as well of like when people try and get super ambitious membership sites off the ground. I've, I've seen that happen. I've seen people try and do it too fast. I've seen people do it where there hasn't been a demand and, and, you know, waste a ton of money without testing. You were obviously in a different situation where people were begging for it and they needed it desperately and, and you were able to build something and it, and it proves that, you know, you should absolutely be asking questions or being, being instructed by, by your existing customers about what to do next to at least retain them and all being well grow as well. But it also, just makes it just makes me laugh thinking about stuff that that I was witnessing a few years ago with people who were spending, you know, two months deciding on what shade of green their logo should be before they could possibly launch their new thing, you know. And it's like it's not it's not going to affect ticket sales. You know what I mean? Like the, the kind of old theater saying, you know, that's is this is the fact that the button on my shirt is is just broken and I'm at the back of the stage, you know, and I'm in pieces about it. And someone says to me, you know, well, don't worry about it, man. You know, it's not going to affect ticket sales. It's not, you know, like the fact that you've used that platform and not the other platform. I can't believe it, you know, and it, you've got a platform. It works, right? And yeah. And you are helping people. So that's incredible. There were a number of places I thought this conversation would go, but it, it wasn't there. And it's incredible to hear that. I mean, yours is also an example. I remember that suddenly on a call, you said that you had this idea for your own podcast and that you were so surprised that as a leading company in this field, you didn't have a podcast. And so you're also an example of jumping in when the opportunity arose. And I, I actually didn't even have the intention of being in the lead for creating this platform because I thought I was digitally not savvy enough. So in, in that first instance, I, I've very often been pioneering, but I was looking for people who were digitally savvy. Yeah. And so I created a team and then we got started. And I found out that the people on my team, they, uh, I, I was humble because I thought I don't know anything. But then I found out that they knew less than I knew. Yeah, well, I mean, we know each other through being in a community that exists online. So clearly you do know quite a lot about how certain things work on a technical level and, and not realizing it. It's the um, unconscious competence. I'm a baby in that. I'm really a baby. And what I realize is in Belgium, you, you asked me about Belgium. I've interviewed a representative of an employer's, employer's organization. And he stressed, he emphasized their huge concern that there are not enough people in 2030 who are digitally proficient. And he says, we will have a huge lack of employees, of people who are digitally savvy in 2030, if we are not going to push this very, very fast. And I thought, well, well, of course, that is, that is his hobby and, and 
he's seeing all of it, but I know many people who know. And But now with this crisis, I observed two things. One was an incredible creativity, an incredible stepping up and immediately and very fast innovating in innovating and being being really creative but on the other side also a total surprise of how how low digital proficiency is and it is it is it is flabbergasting and it frightens me for example i had i helped people in the in the belgian community to learn to use zoom with their mindfulness clients and then they were on the call and they they even had they needed help through email to start zoom to find the chat button or to see where to end a meeting simple simple the most simple things and then when 14 days later i'm also the coordinator of the leuven mindfulness center at the university of leuven we asked the belgian community to show to give us their their information if they were offering mindfulness online and half of the people who were on my first call to help them get on zoom they stopped up and say oh i'm offering mindfulness online and i was i was anxious to publish their details because imagine that the university publishes their details and the recipients of their training find out that they have they've just started to 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 learn the first words of a language and they say oh, i know it's very quick that people step up and say i know and if that is digital savvy of or, or, or proficiency it's dangerous it's very dangerous and welcome to the internet i think you know that's what happens it's a dangerous it's a dangerous place it's really hard we found this you know, I was running a I was running a band with a good friend. In fact, James Eager, who's got a online. Yeah, I heard, I heard the interview. You know, we we ran this business together, and and one of the things we did fifteen years ago was we invested, I don't know, twenty thousand pounds in a video for this band to get made. Really, like a website, like the whole thing, and it was a you know very high high level band doing kind of big corporate events all around the world. So, you know, we invested a lot of money in it and the website looked great and the video looked great. And like 10 years later, everyone's got a website that looks great. Like in 24 hours, you can get something that looks unbelievable. And you can also do things with music and sound where you can get a load of people that look great in a room holding guitars and of course they're miming and they don't really sound that, like that live, you know, and yet on the internet, it looks exactly that they look no different to how we look, you know, and yet we could already play. We can, we can still already play, you know, and, and you think, wow, you know, it's, it's so, it's so hard. Like, how do you know what you're buying on the internet? It's like a super, super tough thing. and and it's more than just saying, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, 20 years in the industry, because as someone pointed out to me a long time ago, you could be 20 years in an industry and just have one year's worth of experience 20 times over. Right. But when you're someone who's striving to improve and, and, and continue to educate 
you know, how, how do you display that? And that comes through by uploading videos, uploading podcasts, uploading things that it comes through in the copy as in the, you know, the words on the page. But I think when you're uploading video and, and audio, at least people can hear those words coming from your mouth that wouldn't be coming from, you know, so-and-so who's, who's just worked out how to build a great website in a day. Like it's, yeah, you're, you're going to see this. In fact, this morning I saw, I saw, I saw our website had been ripped off by another company, right? Like this happens all the time online. It's really, it's, it's kind of depressing, but equally, you know, it, it means people like you and me have got to work harder to, to absolutely prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that what you're offering is actually something you can deliver. Well, I'm not pessimistic, but I just saw two completely opposite effects. On the one hand, people who got really creative, really innovative, and, and, and made things happen. It's like the, 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 the quickest adaption makes you the survivor that really gets into a new avenue, the new next, as I call it. And some others would try to, to get into that flow with just, with just rudimentary things, which is not enough because it's disrespectful towards the clients that have to put up with you with a, with a virtual training, life training, that you don't even know where to find the buttons. So it's, it's yeah. both. It's, it's the two things. But I have a lot, a lot of respect for those who, who didn't sit back, who didn't go into apathy, but to, who at least did something. Yeah. Yeah. I was speaking with a lady called Shweta Chacharia, who is a business coach here in London. And she, her podcast, which will be out by the time you're listening to this, said, you know, this pandemic won't punish the decisive. So uh, totally, totally speaks to that. So what have you, what are your thoughts on how, how we're going to get through this as, as humans, as Europeans, as, as, as a people? What, what, what are your thoughts? I believe this is a blessing in disguise because so many things have been going on for quite a while. And there are innovators and people who try to, to push forward certain innovations. And I see it at my clients. Many of those people's people can't get through to their colleagues or to their clients or their suppliers, but now they maybe can because so many people have been shaken up. And I, I really believe in, in this Greek significance of, of crisis that there is risk and opportunity. And the opportunity for the innovators and, and early adopters is that if they can use this, this, those wings of this crisis to push forward, and it's really a blessing in disguise. I really think that I'm going to interview this person again who told me that he was so concerned about the digital proficiency and ask him now what he thinks that the crisis will bring. Because many people who didn't want remote working, 
they don't they don't have any arguments anymore because it has been proven that we can work from home. It has been proven that people can take responsibility. There is this author, he's called Rutger, Rutger Brechman, and I think his book has also been published in in English. It's it, I would translate it like Humankind, a Hopeful History. His name is Rutger Brechman. And he says, most people are good. Most people are good. And that has been proven in this crisis for me. We have all experienced that people who, who were in need were helped. That people who worked from home didn't just go home and, and binge on Netflix, but they really worked. They did. So I believe that we have proven to each other that we can trust each other. Most of us. Yeah. I mean, there are also always yeah. exceptions, always. but this has been such a massive proof that most people are good. Most people take responsibility. Most people can be trusted that we, we are encouraged to go forward and take the opportunity. We can be optimistic. Yes, we have lost many grandparents, maybe parents. We have lost elderly, vulnerable people, but the statistics are not yet clear whether they have died in huger, much huger amounts that they would have otherwise. And it is sad that they did die, but there has also been proof of goodness. Yeah. Even just doing this, doing this podcast is completely, I always felt that anyway, but it's completely cemented by my view uh, that people are are good like that's that's big big thing that i'm taking away just listening speaking to people all around the world doing this completely agree with you and i'm i'm really happy to hear that you have that outlook too i also think that there is i'm i'm i just told you i'm in one of the pillars that i work with in in vitality is mindfulness well many people lean to stoicism and when i first got a mindfulness book in my hands I thought it was plagiarism because in my high school, I had to translate Stoists. And I thought, well, this, this just sounds like, like the Stoicist sound. But I think there have been very many free mindfulness offers now. And people have also had the chance to, to learn from that and to see how practical it is, how much it helps us to connect to reality. And that connecting to reality is much safer than dreaming away or having nightmares with your own anxieties, because that's just mental constructions. While connecting to reality, some reality hasn't been that bad. People were closer to their loved ones. People had time to, to really cook a meal. People really had time to, to connect. I've written Daily letters, many letters. I, I think I, I, there were days that I wrote 10 letters, but I write at least two a day. Um, I've been calling people, and I've heard that from many friends, that they connected to people that they hadn't, hadn't connected to for a long time. So being with the reality, being in, in what is, and not daydreaming away, either in anxiety or in, in creating some kind of illusion, which mindfulness teaches us, great chances, great opportunities. 
That's incredible. Yeah. I've just been making lots of notes because I'm like, what should I call this show? And then you're just coming out with this stuff. It's it's great. I don't know, know enough about mindfulness or stoicism potentially to tell them apart, but it's it's so great to to speak to someone who's been working in it for such a long time with, with such a deep knowledge rather than a few, uh, a couple of books and, and some Instagram and, and Twitter quotes. It's very cool. You probably have it. The way you talked about your children, that's it. It's the, the essence is presence. And it is, it is what we call homo sapiens sapiens, the man who knows that he knows. That's what puts us apart. It's that consciousness. And when you look at your children and you really see them, that's a mindful moment. It's not something like you sit with your fingers up and you, you, you chant or whatever. No, mindfulness is something very, very practical. Like Thich Nhat Hanh says, it's more difficult to walk on the earth than to walk on water. Because walking on earth is the real thing. We are, we are in this. We are present. Mm. And we accept what is present. We go with that flow. And then, well, people who are religious, they can combine uh, mindfulness with any religion because mindfulness is not a religion. Stoicism did, did choose a God, but mindfulness doesn't. There's no okay. creator. There's the, the connection with nature, our own nature and everything around us. When I first got into this, I, it was very consoling because I felt very lonely. And then I had this epiphany and I thought, it's impossible to be alone. Loneliness is a mental construction, but being alone is impossible because there are not only always people, there is life around me. And connecting to that life is what mindfulness teller tells us, connect to reality and you will never be alone again. So it's, it's, it's simpler practical thing and you're living it every day mm. how long have you been how long have you been doing and working in in mindfulness since 96 i think right wow i love it it's not the time it's not the time it's what you just said you can do it for 20 years and repeat one day yeah. every time but yeah. you can you can also observe yourself observe other people and then well, it's there, and that's what we call the beginner's mind in mindfulness. And that's why I call the period after COVID-19, well, if there is any after, because corona is there. It's a new virus, so it won't go away. But I call it the new next, because in mindfulness, we celebrate the beginner's mind. The next moment is fresh. Right. So what, so there's, you're right, you know, for everything we're seeing at the moment, as I understand it, this will be around forever and there will be vaccine at some point, but, you know, that's, that's some way off. What, once, once the vaccine's in place and people feel like lockdowns are lifted, people feel safe, what do you think, what do you think that looks like? Do you think people's behavior is going to change or do you think people are mainly going to go back to how they were eventually? I spoke with someone who's talking about New York tower blocks, you know, when, when those planes hit on nine 11, everyone in New York was saying, well, no one's going to live in a tower block again. 
you know, and now they're back. And this isn't the same thing. It's not obviously a, a person, it's a virus, but do you think people will kind of slip back to the old ways or do you think there'll be some new practices like the ones you're you're doing now with your walking and your letter writing that will stay for most people or like what what's your view there i guess it's both and why do i think that first there's a very human trait to go back to your last set point there is even a theory by zelikman who who started out saying that we have a happiness set point and that whatever happens, either grief or happy or being happy over the top, we go back to our set point. Now that has been falsified by research because research has shown that, is, that training, especially mental and emotional training, you can change your happiness set point. So that inspires me saying, yes, some people will change. But they will only change if they consciously use this period and then consciously say, okay, I've learned something. Like I've been walking forever. I've been living in this place for 20 years. I've been walking forever. But the consistency with which I walked now, that has stabilized a habit that was not so consistent before. Now, it's very easy to fall off the bandwagon, and many people do. When you are in training people in their habits, you know that many people fall off the bandwagon. But the people who truly and and at the basis of their being experience the benefits, they will, and that is another principle of, of vitality and mindfulness, they will step back and realize, wow, I'm falling off the bandwagon and that is not what I'm choosing. So I'm getting back on because not only have I developed a habit, mainly I have developed a habit of how to build a habit. It's like that saying, give a man a fish and he will eat a day. Teach a man to fish and he will have fish for his life, but teach a man to learn And he will, even if the fish is gone, he will do something else. He will learn a new trait. Now, if we really become conscious of what what has happened and we have learned to build habits, then we, we change. But there will be people who fall off the bandwagon and to return to the set point. Yes, I believe that. But it will be both. Maybe the critical mass is large enough to change certain things in society, for example, to become more climate conscious, because many, many people are now giving us statistics and are showing us things like clear water here in Belgium, some, in some rivers, the fish can be seen and it hasn't been seen for, for, for decades. In some places, people can, can, can see farther again because the, the air is clearer. Now, those are observations that maybe are a wake-up call or people who haven't met for decades. I've been contacted by people that I hadn't seen since high school, 40 years. They suddenly tried to find people and they found me. So there is something going on. There, something has changed. The only thing is, to which degree will we keep the change and to which degree will we return to the old set point? Now, I don't believe that all of us will return to the previous set point. 
And I want to stimulate in my clients and in, in the people that I love that we don't return to the old set point because this, we would waste the opportunity. Yeah. I'm, I'm really thinking about, you know, the things that I wanted, the things that I aspire to have, like lots of, you know, particularly the material things that I was like, oh, I'm going to buy that this month. You know, when, when we get to the end of this year, we'll buy this thing. And like so much of that thinking is just stopped completely in a way that surprises me because I'm not like completely materialistic, but I definitely have an element of like, I like nice things and like, I'm just like, I don't actually, we don't need that, do we? You know, or I don't need that or, you know, maybe we'll go there on holiday instead of there. And maybe when my car lease is up, I just won't have a car for like a while because we've got two cars. We don't need two cars at the moment, do we? If this all stopped tomorrow and there's a vaccine tomorrow, I've definitely changed my thinking about how I spend my time. And so much of that is around, it's not, it's not a money thing necessarily, or, it, or it's a money thing only because what money does is buy me, it, it, it can either buy me things or it can buy me more time at home because, yeah. Yeah, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's that equation as well. And, you know, I do, I do have that entrepreneurial kind of, you know, want to make more money and do this stuff and go here and buy these things. But I still, I'm definitely, if I, I would say I still was experience over stuff. I'm that person. Definitely. I'm definitely experience over stuff, but I'm even more experience over stuff now. Mm. In the, I think it was in the eighties that the book was published, your money or your life. It was on consumerism. And they, they brought exactly the thesis that you just said. What do I want? Experience or, or stuff? And they, they calculated how much you are sacrificing when you're working for stuff instead of working to, to finance a good life. And that's, a great, that's a big difference. Yeah. Yes. Is that, does it only inform your private life or also your professional life that you want less stuff? Well, I think... For a long time, I've been someone who, you know, as many people on this on, on this podcast are, because kind of people in my community, they are not people who like to have an office. They're not, you know, they're people who are very comfortable working from home. They're not necessarily, some of them are making unbelievable amounts of money, but they're not necessarily all about showing it to people. So, so I don't think, and, and the way that the business that we have is, you know, we, a lot of our team are, were working remotely anyway. We got rid of the last studio in Michigan at the end of last year because we realized that we, we just didn't need it. Like we could be more productive by not having people drive to the studio, right? And I was always in London, so I wasn't really part of that anyway. So I think from a business model, we, we were there before perhaps other people are now being forced into that. But, you know, the, we referenced uh, in, in the conversation I had with Murray Cowell, I think referenced that 2007 Tim, Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which, which I looked in and I think it's 2007. And it was all about, you know, how to negotiate with your boss about how to work from home, you know, and it's all a bit like, whoa, you know, this is risky and crazy. And people are still reading that book today. And now it's, it's happened, you know, whether you like it or not, your boss is having to deal with the fact that you're working from home and your boss is having to trust you whether, whether, whether they like it or not, you know. Yes, but there is something going on because 
our place, we started to look into this. And the, these tools, they offer jerk bosses to have new, what do you call that? New means of exclusion. For example, if you, if you have a Zoom meeting and you organize it in a way that you have a waiting room, now you can leave a person in the waiting room because you have to admit them to the meeting. Now, the first thing is you can say, a person can say, well, I was not admit, admitted. Oh, I forgot. I didn't see you. The meeting started and you weren't there, so we didn't admit you. But you can have, you can have the functionality to see it. You can have the bell. You can forget to invite someone by simply not sending them an email and inviting them to a Zoom call. So there are all kinds of possibilities to, to be controlling in a not so ethical way using the new instruments. Because you humans are, most humans are good, but we still have this possibility where we need to, to ask from each other that we behave in an ethical way. And ethics, they can be bent. If you look at this virus in many, during these weeks, many times there have been conspiracy theories of people saying this virus was created to paralyze economy. Now there is a precedent for that. And it's in Dan Brown's Inferno. Do you know the book? I don't know it. I know of it. Dan Brown's Inferno, the central theme is a geneticist who creates a virus that is released in Venice. And the objective of, of that virus has an ethically very good intention because the geneticist wants a respectful way of reducing a world population. Now what that virus does, if released, it, it makes 50% of world population infertile, which would mean that the reproduction rate of world population would decrease dramatically. Now, is that a good intention? Yes. Is it ethical? No, because you can't just put out a virus and make many people infertile. They won't die, but they won't have children. Many of their children won't have children if they already have children. So I think this conspiracy theory might even have been nourished through that book because it is possible in our laboratories to make a virus and maybe some criminals have been inspired by COVID-19 or by, by the coronavirus to go and build one because it can be done. Corona is not the last one. Do you think we'll see another one in our lifetime? Oh, yes. Yes. In our lifetime, we have seen the, the HIV virus start. We have seen Corona 1. We, are now, we now see Corona 2. So, yes, I think so. Okay. Let's finish this by talking about, you know, because I, I feel like you are like optimistic for the future. Like that's, that's really, that's, that's your position. What have you seen locally? What have you seen? I, I guess all the way through, you've been telling me what's been impressing you as well. But is there anything that comes to mind when you're thinking about how people have adapted and changed since this has happened? My optimism stems from the expectations that there was enough time to step back and become aware 
of the opportunity this crisis offers to us. And I have the estimation, I have no proof, I have the estimation that many people have taken the opportunity to be creative. I'm not naive thinking that there are also quite many people who have now seen everything on Netflix, have gained like 20 pounds eating chocolate or whatever. I think we have, we have gone to extremes, either very creative, very busy, very innovative, and some have, got, have fallen off the bandwagon being apathic. But I believe that the critical mass of people who have become creative, either because they are by nature innovative or because fear is rising in their throats, because they're so anxious of, of losing everything, that that critical mass of people who are changing is large enough to really, really have an impact. But we will see if, if that is true, because if it's not a critical mass, then I do believe that we'll fall back to set point. And I don't know. I'm, I'm looking for signs to, to understand. I, I let myself be surprised, but I'm looking forward to seeing what is going on when we meet each other again. Will we take more time? Will we be really more present for each other? Will we use to work the will we use the the experience that we can work more efficiently by traveling less? But then when we meet each other, we need to take the time to make that connection because we are physically present. And I've also seen conflicts rise between people who used to be physically present, but obviously the body signals things like simply biological things that we cannot compensate by seeing each other and hearing each other. There is something about, about our antennas when we are present in each other's presence that makes a difference. And I hope, I'm not sure, I hope that people realize that and that when they come together and have a meeting, they don't do the nitty gritty stuff but they do the connection stuff because they have learned now that we can't do that through Zoom. We can try. I've built five websites with a woman who, who commutes between Florida and, and California, and we've never seen each other. But we have a certain click, and obviously we don't need the physical presence, but that is not the case with all people. But some people you can get in a conflict on your first Zoom meeting. Yeah, well, I'm very happy that we haven't got into a conflict. <laughs> We've been on other Zoom meetings before. <laughs> yeah, on, on any of our Zoom courses, but especially not this one. Thank you so much for your time and your, and your energy and your thoughts. It's just incredible listening to you. I think, I think actually I'm getting to the stage where everyone I'm speaking to, I'm just saying the same stuff. But what's happening around it is, is so different and, and so brilliant. First, you're the first person who I've spoken with in Brussels. One of the few people who's had had that kind of continental Europe experience, which is interesting to me because I'm spending a lot of time talking to Americans as well. And just geographically, the UK is where it is, you know, just off the coast of, of mainland Europe and politically in a different place at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to talk with you. Without airplanes, you would have been safe on an island. 
I know, but I was enjoying my time too much in Europe <laughs> and in the US using airplanes. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to say I'm a, I'm what we call a Ramona here. I'm a big, uh, big EU person. So, so what are you taking from the crisis, Toby? I, I know that you, you started your podcast, so that's something different. At the beginning of this conversation, you said that you're at least as busy as before, maybe it busier. I heard you say that you closed Michigan. Well, when I listen to the podcast, you say, I'm Toby in, in London, and uh, I do this together with, and then you say a name in Michigan. Yeah. So that person is not there anymore. Oh, no, she's there. We just had a studio. She had a studio there. So she's the founder. Katarina, where can people find you on the internet so they can connect with you? I have a, a website. It's called bevital.eu for Europe. And I'm on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I, I, I use my, both my first names, Urza Katarina Mullen. So I'm on LinkedIn and I'm, I have a website. I think those are the things that nowadays work. You're most welcome to, <laughs> to contact me. Great. I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes so people can get mm. to you. Thank you so much. Well, as a thank you for this conversation, I might send you my vitalizer tips because they might just be of benefit for you. And I'm, I'm very, it's very, it was a very nice conversation. So I would also like to reach out to you and say thank you to you. Oh, thank you. This episode of Crisis Cast 2020 was produced by me in London and Kate Astrakhan in Michigan with artwork by Ryan Field and sound design by Lee Turner. Crisis Cast 2020 is a production from Podcast Network Solutions, a full-service podcast production company who are ready to help you plan, record, produce, and promote your message with podcasting. To find out more and grab your copy of Podstar if you're feeling pod curious, visit us at podcastnetworksolutions.com.